tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. An end-to-end frantic match at the Etihad on Saturday was followed by something of a teeth-pulling exercise on Tuesday as once more Manchester City proved to be a bit Jekyll and Hyde in the Premier League and the Champions League. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast where we'll be trying to pin down where the consistency has gone. There was nothing wrong with the results in the end but it certainly seems like City are blowing hot and cold at the moment. Nevertheless, a must-win match against Chelsea was won and Pep Guardiola has seen his team win their European group with a game to spare as well so surely they must be doing something right. On today's show, we'll look at those results against Chelsea and Shakhtar, plus we'll be casting our minds back to one of the first records City broke under Sheikh Mansour's ownership. And Rob Wilson will be taking us back to Roberto Mancini's final season at the club, with the latest in his series reviewing the decade. We'll also look ahead to the Premier League games against Newcastle and Burnley, plus take some of your questions in Ask the Panel as well. I'm your host David Mooney, and with me this week I've got two City fans in the shape of Richard Burns. Hello. And Stephen McInerney. Hello. How are you both doing? Both well? Yeah, Good. Not Pretty too good. bad at all, thank you. Yeah. How are you, David? I'm yeah. very well, thank you for asking. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> let's start then. Uh, first first port of call for the Chelsea game, I think. I'm, I'm going to kind of take it fairly chronologically this week. Um, because I we, we focused a lot this season on the defending that City have been doing. And Stephen, it feels like a ball over the top causes all sorts of issues for City this year. Because it does. I think that's the uh, simple answer there. Yeah, we're not, um, we're not that organised. And I think it's probably just... Um, you look at the defense and go by the for the players one by one. It's because there's just so much, there's there's so much to learn there, or so many people changing roles and all that. Kind so of much stuff. upheaval. And yeah, yeah it's, it's just constant upheaval, and I think we all know that. And it's a cliche for a guy cliche for a reason. Like in general, <laughs> that you know, a settled back four does tend to perform better. And when you've got like um, you know, you it's like it's genuinely like a tombola picking a left back at the moment. You never know who's going to be at left back. And you've got like <laughs> I love the idea though, like sticking all the names in a hat and just. You know. uh, it's uh, oh, it's, oh, it's me. Well, it's me. Yeah. So you never know who's going to be at left back, which genuinely is confusing. You've got an old defensive midfielder playing left centre back who doesn't know how to speak to a left back. Who a left back doesn't know how to play with that guy. Then you've got like <laughs> uh, uh, a kind of slightly out of form, slap flattering to deceive centre back. It's either Stones or Otamendi, one of the two. And then usually like a new new right back as well. So it's just a bit confusing, you know. There's a lot going on. Then also to uh, compound that, obviously you've got a guy learning the defensive midfield role in front of them. Not that he needs to learn it, but learn it as a Manchester City player. Uh, and I think that's probably what uh, leads to stuff like the players being caught out and all that kind of stuff. And it's a bit, a bit hard to watch, but it's almost understandable because you kind of, I think it's one of the seasons where we have to kind of realise that this is not going to be smooth at any point because there's just too much upheaval, and I think it also makes us realise how much Laporte was so critical mm. to that. He was like a silent leader, wasn't he? Really, yeah. I guess. I don't think because he's not vocal, but I think oh, he's not that much of a leader, but he obviously is. You know, mm. like the way that um, he obviously bring the left back close to him, all that kind of stuff. Or he'd make sure everyone's in the right position, and you can see, you can see obviously how much Otamendi and Stones miss it. Um, 
and then it's just obviously uh, it means there's just genuine confusion throughout the team and well, Chelsea Chelsea scored with a ball over the top, Richard. Mm-hmm. Shakhtar had about two or three chances with a ball over the top. At, at what point does City go, like, how, how, do, how do they fix that? Because they're not going to drop deeper because that's not how they play. Well, no, it's, it's one of those things that I suppose it's happening more now teams have realised that it's there to be exploited. The way to fix it is to work an organisation. But as Stephen said, that's pretty hard when you've got a mixed up back four and I think the one of the key points as well um, which we spoke about recently is losing Fernandinho from midfield and that is yeah. by no means a slight on uh, on Rodri who's obviously been injured as well which if there's a worse time to get injured than when you are trying to gel with a new team in a new league there probably isn't really a worse time because it just disrupts your flow is he has settled very very well and i think i, I can't imagine there's too many people that would question that he's going to be great value long term and well in pretty short term as well but he's now being asked to take full responsibility in a role that maybe would have ideally been more getting used to it by rotation. Well, let's, um, let's and, look and at learning from Fernandinho. It's that thing as well. Like one of the reasons as well, there is balls probably the balls going up over the top in the first place is because there is more space in the field, mm. I guess as well. And uh, usually, I guess when you play against Manchester City in, in seasons uh, uh, recently gone, is that you have you don't have time in the field, so they're just hopelessly punting the ball forward. Now you've got someone like I think it was was it Jorginho played the pass for Chelsea game. He's got time to pick his head up, look, and pick out two runners going on. Normally Fernandinho is there, and this is it's not. An overt criticism of Roger because he obviously is trying to learn the role, but he's just not quite as good at that yet. Yeah. So you've got basically, you know, uh, someone who, who's going to allow space for these players. And and you look at, I guess it's kind of it's shown in the possession stats as well that we're not this team gets seventy percent anymore. Yeah. It's dropped to something. But weirdly, I'm going to pick up on that thread of Fernandinho because he's been probably the star of this week from centre back, and yeah. he's he's probably at the moment City's best centre back. I he definitely is. I mean, that just shows how good that we know he is in general. Uh, I was thinking during the weekend like how much, as good as it is having him on the pitch, I think he's still just more effective because he controls controls the emotion of the game, controls the energy of the game in the field. And I do think we miss that. I do think we miss him being... What I think makes Fernandinho great... Um, okay, he's been good, very good in defence, but he's, he's at his most effectiveness, effective when he's... Um, when he's everywhere, when he's like really controlling the game from the field and really affecting all parts of the pitch, when he can talk to the left winger because he's right near them, or he can talk to the right back, or he can talk to the referee because he's in the middle there, and all that kind of stuff. And I think he does that, and I think that we actually are missing that. And I think his presence in the midfield, in the centre of the pitch, really helps us control the game. Um, and even though he is good at centre-back, I, I still think we lose what makes Fernandinho special in terms of that affectionness that, that, that infectious energy and that kind of just general presence around the pitch he's still obviously fantastic he still reads the game really well but I I think it's a shame that for most of the game he is kind of doing well not these days I guess he's still doing it quite a bit but he's doing a lot less than he should do and I think Fernandino is he's better when he's just doing things you know and it, like he's involved and and I think basically it's a combination of not having that and then obviously having loads of random defenders genuinely like you know it's pick and mix defence and then it's just it's it's just one of those kind of. I think we just have to kind of almost like grin and bear it though, because I think circumstances kind of forced it upon us, given injuries, and um, it's a it's a weird season. Uh, yeah. and I think we're kind of realizing it's going to be carrying that way. The bonus, I suppose, Richard, is that you look at at the fullbacks, and as, okay, the left back position is is been up in the air a little bit, but I thought Mendy did all right against uh, against Chelsea, and then you know the right back position is looking quite good. Cancelo's looking good. Walker's looking pretty good this season. 
Yeah. Um, well, Walker started the season looking like he had a real point to prove. He looked like, yeah. um, you know, a noticeable step up on last season's performance. And by no means was he terrible last year. He had a little blip, but if actually most of the season he was a pretty pretty good right back. Um, but I guess Cancelo's probably given Walker, well, not no, I guess, he has given Walker more competition because um, we knew that Danilo was always a distant second choice behind Walker. Now that isn't the case with Cancelo. We've been and spent a lot of money on him. He's clearly in contention for a first-team place and I'm sure seen as the long-term replacement because Walker, you know, he's, he's edging towards his, his twilight years. Um, and yeah, left-back, I don't think anybody doubts that... Uh, and Sorry, I should say Cancelo, I, I agree, um, when he plays is looking good. I think the, the Wolves game that he played in was unfortunate because he looked like a fish out of war at left back. On the wrong side, yeah. Yeah, he was against um, Traore, who was in great form that day, who he, he blows hot and cold, but if you get him on a day when he just wants to run at you, then it's not many are going to stop that if he really fancies it, and he just happened to be particularly effective that day. Um, so that wasn't great for Cancelo, but on his natural right side, he looks so composed, he's... He looks completely unruffled, um, or unruffleable, I suppose. And then, yeah, at, at left-back, Mendy, I think, when he plays this year, is mostly looking pretty effective. He's another one that I don't think anybody doubts the quality that he's got. I think but it's his injuries, isn't it? That, yeah. That it's what effect have they had? Exactly. I think occasionally, I suppose, feeding into um, what we've spoken about in the Patreon special today that people, I'm sure, will get to hear. Go and have a listen, uh, patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Yeah, we we mentioned that City don't have a great record with left-backs. He, like many of them, I think at times is suspect defensively, but you you gain so much with what he adds going forward. And I don't think a, a defensively suspect fullback is a City problem. That is the modern fullback role. So many of them maybe aren't positionally great at the back because they expend so much energy going forward and so much focus on that. Um, so, what so about, yeah, I've been, I've been pretty happy with the fullbacks. But what about the middle, though? Because as Stephen was saying before about Fernandinho not being there to protect the defence, is it, just kind of getting into the Rodri angle, is it better to have Fernandinho in defensive midfield doing that job that we know he can do with maybe Stones and Otamendi who might be a bit out of form at the moment behind him? Or the way he's been playing at centre-back, is it better to have him there? Um, I think of the options that we've realistically got at the moment, I would have um, Fernandinho in central defence over Otamendi because Otamendi has looked so off-form this season that he's... I mean, he's just reverted to type, hasn't he? That he, he dives in. It's cost us... It's certainly cost us against Wolves. There's been other occasions where he's put us in danger. Um, I got himself a, a stupid booking... Um, just needlessly. Um, and so I, I don't particularly trust having Otamendi in central defence. And despite what I said then about Fernandino, I still weirdly think it's probably the best decision to do because I think it's one of the seasons yeah. where you, we kind of just have to have Rodri there. Like I think we have to really. It comes to the point where you kind of just kind of jump into the deep end. And like if we, we could play Fernandino in the field and I'm sure we'd have a, a short-term game from it. But what are we really going to gain from putting Rodri on the bench? You know, like I think it's this season where we just kind of have to kind of grin and bear it. Like it might, we might be all right. We, we might could, win the league, who knows? But it could you be could like... You could put Rodri at centre-half. You, I also want him to learn the Premier League midfield. Mm. You could do, but I also think he needs to learn. And it might cost us a little bit, but I think we're going to be better next season for it. And I think going forward in the future, it will benefit from having this kind of slightly tricky season. I know it's not great because you're always kind of thinking the immediacy and all that kind of stuff, but 
I don't know what I think we learn more, I guess, um, or probably benefits us more by persisting, even though weirdly I think we might struggle a little bit more as a result this season. But I don't know. I think it's I'm probably saying this from a position of strength where we know that we've had a really good couple of years, you know. So I think I can take one slightly, you know, fallow year if it, if it meant. <laughs> I if can't. It, it's not on. It's not on at all. I, I would just say just on one point that you made, Stephen, that I, I sort of agree with in the sense that yes, we do have to grin and bear it, but from the perspective of how it could have been avoided, I don't think our centre-back situation was... I think it was it was obvious oh, for yeah. a while that were we to get an injury, and over the number of games that City play in a season, it's likely there will be an injury. Granted, you can't predict somebody being out for six months. You're like one of your best players, but it could have been avoided with... Better action in the transfer no, market. I totally agree with that. I, I would I'm say. talking just purely. But I, I in, take you probably in playing Rodri, persisting with Rodri. Yeah. Is what yeah. I'm saying really. So I agree with that. We definitely could have, we should have signed a centre back. Yeah. Right? Well, let's let's have a look at the rhythm of City recently because, as I said in the introduction, they've been blo- they feels like they've been blowing hot and cold. How much control, Stephen, do you think City were in in that Chelsea game? Um, because because you think back to some City great performances, especially under Guardiola in the last couple of seasons, when they take control of the game, the other team ain't getting it back. We we weren't uh, it wasn't Pete Guardiola it wasn't Pete Manchester City um but we weren't bad really I don't think I think Chelsea are a good team you know like they were the kind of one team not the one team there's worst teams obviously to play against Liverpool probably but after Liverpool really um there's probably you probably put uh, uh Leicester alongside uh, Chelsea in terms of teams you don't want to play against and whatever it's because they they're youthful they're energetic they're pacey you know and they're kind of direct and that was probably going to cause a problem so like I'm, I, we could have been better in that first half an hour of course but um the, the response it, it was enough it was enough and against a good team that had won six in a row you know that they're more informed than we are by a long way yeah at that point um and even though it, I still want us to be you know this this old controlling Manchester City that we are um even I don't think we I don't think we were that in control but I don't think I do think we were better in the second half. It didn't feel like we were susceptible to the balls off top or whatever. We, we got a lot more uh we settled a little more, you know, we started to force Chelsea uh to play the way that we wanted them to play, all that kind of stuff. And it it wasn't like um the Manchester City of even at the start of the season, which feels like a long time ago. Do you remember mm. the Spurs game? Like mm. the two yeah. all that even that, even though we had thirty shots to, to three, you know, that they it's that's frustrating, but that feels like a, a totally different side to this one. It's not that, but I still thought we were pretty decent. You know, I thought we were fine. I thought we were more than acceptable. It was like a proper, I'd say, seven and a half out of ten kind of performance. And we used to say, Richard, under especially in that that kind of first eighteen months of Pellegrini, when City lost control of a game, they never got it back, and and that's what they really struggled with. Credit where it's due in this Chelsea game. City didn't have control of the game at the start, but by the end, they were in control of it. This yeah. was actually the most encouraging thing for me because I think when we look back at some of our recent defeats, um, and I would take Anfield out of the mix with this one but the defeats around Christmas last year um, well in fact all of our defeats last year in the league um, Chelsea, Leicester, Palace and Newcastle all had that in common that at one point City were winning in the Newcastle game after like 20 seconds or something stupid whatever it was Um, the Chelsea game they weren't winning but they were phenomenal in the first half and could have been 2 or 3 and up and as soon as it started to turn against them, they struggled to wrestle it back. And yeah. it, 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 that was a real problem. I think Wolves this year um, was a similar thing. That once it, th- There was a point in that game where it started to look like City would, were never going to win it. And obviously as it happened, they lost. Norwich, similar thing, struggled with momentum. Um, Chelsea was really encouraging 
because it showed that the mentality is still there to fight back. And that you, sh- you should be able to take that for granted. But actually, it's not just losing in that game. We already knew that Liverpool had won from late on and had, and this isn't to bleat on about it, but they'd had a fortuitous decision. And we know we, we know what it feels like when that's going in your favour. So you can imagine what it feels like for the players with the way when before they go out to play, they're probably thinking, oh, they've had a slice of fortune again. Is anything going to fall our way? And then they find themselves it, behind. It, it did, though, to be fair. The, it did. The equaliser was it did, a but big slice of luck. They, they find themselves behind, not just in that game, but staring down the barrel of 12 points behind in the title race, which, to be fair, isn't much of a race at the moment anyway. <laughs> um, and they fought back against a very, very good team. Chelsea, you know, for all that talk of, of control, there was the stat that Chelsea recorded the most possession ever against a, Pep Gua- a, a, a team that Guardiola manages. But in a weird so, sense then, does that does the openness of that game show why both of these teams are currently chasing Liverpool? Yeah, okay. yeah, definitely. We're both equally as porous. Like, um, <laughs> I, I genuinely think that City can see goals these days because of all the reasons we've outlined in this. And I, I spoke, spoke to a Chelsea fan before the game. Um, he has a similar, uh, you know, he's, he's very ration, rational and all that kind of stuff. And he said, look, we will concede goals. We're just not that great defensively. Having said that, the first goal was kind of lucky, you know, kind of fortuitous. It was very lucky, if we're being honest. <laughs> uh, yeah, just, just totally lucky. The second one, though, it was it was a bit soft. You know, like, it was great for Mares, but if, you, if you're a manager, you'd be like, oh, come on, lads. You don't, you know, show, you don't show Mares off yeah, his left foot in the like box, It's like the one you? thing he's going to do all week. Like, if he plays, do not let him. And he's not, it's not like it's Robin where he's lightning quick, you know. It's like, it, it's predictable. And was, they were like they weren't there, basically. But, um, yeah, they, they can see goals. Um, so that this is... Exactly why both teams are where they are. Like, I mean, for Chelsea, they're fine because it's relative to their level, given their circumstance of all the young players and transfer ban. They'll be fine with it. You know, they'll get better. They haven't got Rudiger as well, uh, so they'll presume. And to be honest, it's like City. We haven't got Laporte. They haven't got Rudiger. They'll both teams will presume that when the, that guy comes back for them. The funny thing is, at half time, uh, I went with my mate to this one. I nudged him and said, "There's plenty more goals in this." And then he finished two <laughs> one. So you know. Um, I want to touch on uh, on the strikers because uh, obviously City lost Aguero in that in that Chelsea game to injury. That um, you know it's another injury on the list for City this season. Um, how big a loss is he? Huge. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's... and it's a weird. I mean that in in the weirdest way because it feels like at the minute teams are doing a very good job of of not letting him have that much space. And I, he's not in good form. Yeah, he's like one goal in six or something. Yeah, like that, yeah. I I certainly agree with that. But we've seen. But what a... I mean is like there's, there's now a wild card of Jesus in there instead. Well, it's a bit harsh to call him a wild card. He is a recognised Premier League striker, David. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, but he, he's not. He doesn't play the same way as Aguero, and he's not had a consistent run in City's team. He's not, but when he's played this year, he's mostly been very, very good. Um, yeah. I've been, I've been really impressed with him, and actually, you know, his sort of hold up play. I think at the, at the moment, one of the things that's notable with City, um, and I won't sort of go on this track too much but I think it's relevant to answering Jesus one of the things that is notable with City at the moment when they're not really really on it they look weirdly short of ideas and it's the first time yeah. we've really seen this even even a spot when of inspiration isn't it yeah, yeah even when they struggled in Pep's first year one of the last things that you would have said about them was they lacked creativity and this year there is a little bit of that so I think and this isn't to denigrate the role that Aguero plays but Jesus I think is more natural hold up play and he's got a little bit more of the showboating about him that yeah. when he's feeling really confident he pulls that out and he can I mean he, there was one point where he did back heel it to a Chelsea player that, in his that own wasn't half his finest moment with about five minutes to go and everybody went what on earth are you doing <laughs> it wasn't his finest moment but I think when City at the moment, I 
I would say, are having to grind things out a little bit more than we've seen over the last couple of years. I think Jesus might well be the man for that. Where I think the issue comes with Aguero's injury is Jesus will need rotating. And so we are short of a natural striker. And I wonder if, because I think this is part of his natural development anyway, we spoke about it at the start of the season, if I recall rightly, Raheem Sterling is going to, in his career, play a much more central role with, you know, he's already proved himself to be a very good and very consistent regular goal scorer. He's got quite a lot of different types of goals in his in his armoury now. I wonder if Pep will start to force that issue a little bit more now. Well, I have with, no choice, maybe. You know, yeah. we get a bit more. Would anyone really be surprised if we got another injury? You know, like um. Well, <laughs> yeah, like as long as it's not Sterling, that yeah, would put yeah. a spanner in that particular yeah, works. But <laughs> it's, it's obviously a huge blow. It's Sergio Aguero. Um, it'd be interesting to see how Gabriel Jesus rises because usually at his best is when he's had a chance because of an Aguero injury, you know. And um, I do think he started pretty well. He was pretty poor against Shakhtar, but like you know, that's. I, Everyone was, you know, it wasn't a great performance it wasn't all a great round. Performance, yeah. yeah. So it kind of it's hard to judge him in a, a game where no one seemed to care, mm. you know. And so, then he did he did create the goal. Yeah, he did. So. He did, and it was his tenacity. And I do actually agree with Richard that um, he's the kind of guy he's likely to try something a bit audacious, you know, a little bit silly, and that's the kind of stuff that it does put defenders on edge, and it does make the rest of the team do that, and it can be infectious. That energy he's got. Um, one, one name just genuinely just sprung into my head when he said, "Try something a bit audacious, put defenders on edge, and be a bit silly." Was Paolo one shot? I knew you were going to say one shot. <laughs> well, bang, there it goes. <laughs> and that's what we need back in the team. Like, uh, there's only one chop. Um, in general, though, I think Gabriel, like, uh, as if I know him, Gabriel, um, he, like, it'd be great for him to get like. Yeah, he's kind of. It could be good. It could be really good. Like, uh, it could be the fact that like he gets a, a chance to play alongside Sterling and hopefully, you know, Bernardo finds his mojo again and that we've got this, like, energetic, young, uh, direct, aggressive forward line. And it, it could be, you know, uh, his break. Because we don't know how long he's out for, but fingers crossed, because he does have the ability. Right, for this final part of the uh, the first part of the show, uh, I need to call on the audience's help because <laughs> we, we talk about this every every single week. I've been threatening this time on time and time again. Um, so any musicians that listen to us, any any songwriters that listen to us, I want you to get in touch at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter. Email us. Uh, you don't know what it is yet. <laughs> okay, no. uh, email us through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com, because I now want the worst, single worst jingle that you can make for our weekly discussion about VAR. <laughs> because it seems it, it needs to be crap because that that then suits the narrative of the topic. Um, head right now. <laughs> because can can anybody explain like even on that replay with Raheem Sterling like he he looks level. Yeah, he well, he was definitely why. So I got I don't understand that. He's just level in my opinion. If I mean I to be honest, you could just cut and play my audio from whenever I spoke about VAR. <laughs> like the problem where it is going seriously wrong for me is the the decisions that are being made, all the controversial ones we're seeing. For me it's not about whether they're technically correct or not. It's the intent of the law is being so wildly, wildly lost in 
the pursuit of 100% accuracy. But the thing is, it's hard to see how it can be any other way. Well, we've... Because once you are putting lines on the pitch and leaving it to a video referee to make the right decision... At some point, you... somebody's over a line. Yeah, yeah. and you, yeah. Cannot, you, you cannot then allow discretion for something that is yes or no. And uh, offside is. The law needs rewriting. But uh, somebody's I, shoulder I being have, offside... Honestly, I have an idea. I mean, we all think our ideas are the best ideas. But I've got an idea. <laughs> I genuinely think, I think would actually be quite good. Because I think what a lot of the problems cause is... Is it scrap well, it by any chance? Well, yes. Other than that, though... But if you're going to persist with this kind of litigious nonsense, like I'd rather make it like have a bit more sense because everyone's getting noticed like, oh, his nose is offside or his, his yeah. armpit's offside. It's silly. Like, I honestly think, like, we all know the problems in terms of, the, uh, if anyone's edited video as well, you'll know exactly how it means in terms of the frame rate and how far the ball can travel during a frame. Firstly, tell this is what I think they should do. And if they are listening, they can have this one free. <laughs> Basically, like, isolate the frame before it's left the foot. So see, or whatever, or the head. So as soon as you see the ball leave, you know, go back one frame. So you know that's the moment where he leaves his foot. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So you've got, you know, everyone, we've always got a standardised moment where, where where the pass is made. It's the frame before the ball's moved, essentially. So we've got that one frame there, like, that's fair. Then just use their feet. Don't use anything else. Use their feet. But because... you'll still get that, that millimetres line. Sure, but then most likely it'd be a lot clearer than an armpit. And I think in general, at least that's where I think a lot of the confusion is coming from. I mean, it could be confusion, but I think that's still Especially as in, out. Well, in, that, in that situation, Sterling was running one way, the defender was running the other way, and so they're leaning in different directions. Yeah, well so and Sterling's think, feet are well on If you side. take it to two objects as opposed to a whole torso and limbs or whatever, I think you're less likely to have problems. I think you're basically reducing the uh, margin of error. And I, I I don't like it anyway, but I think if you're going to do it that way, just make sure everyone knows when the pass is made. So the frame before the ball's left the person and use their feet because you're only where your feet are. You know, regardless of what you say, your head isn't gaining an advantage because you've got to wait for your body to catch up. So it's nonsense, <laughs> you know, like like in general, I don't agree with this. As someone else said, well, no, the last, the see where your head is. So see where the part of your body that touches the ball for you to score is when, like, no, it sounds diving, stupid. Diving header. Yeah. You know, yeah you but then, know. like, um, if, you, if you're doing that, you know, like, you, you, the listeners can't see, but I've, I've, <laughs> I've slightly bent my neck to the right, you know, like, is that really an advantage? It isn't. Of course it isn't. If anything, you get a sore neck, you know, that's stupid. But so why, that. why, Richard, did the linesman only flag for the offside after Martin Atkinson had a word with him? <laughs> um... Because that was before the video had finished drawing the lines on the pitch. I don't know. I don't know. I'm have hoping an it's incompetency. Yeah. Just my my only my only suggestion maybe is that the linesman's gone. I don't know who touched the ball forward, and then Martin Atkinson has said it was. Was I, it still uh, Jesus that got the flick on? I'll be honest. And part, then he said, "All oh, right, well, if it, if he's flicked it on, then he's offside." Part but of I my reason for not being able to answer that is because I didn't realise that had been the case because I just yeah. celebrated the goal and then I've not noticed it when I've watched it back well, on. Well, you've match not been of on Twitter. <laughs> Look at that. Do you know I took? I'm, a I'm so jealous. <laughs> I took a t I took a two week break from Twitter and what a remarkable, remarkable two weeks it's been. Head free of that nonsense and now I'm back on it. <laughs> no, you didn't, didn't retweet the podcast last time you're on. You're right, no, I didn't. didn't. Uh, right, well, we're almost too <laughs> used to this Manchester City team breaking records but this week saw the 10th anniversary of the first on the pitch record that City broke under the ownership of Sheikh Mansour having already broken the transfer record by signing Rubinho from Real Madrid in 2008 this one though wasn't one the club actually wanted Tom Green takes us back to the end of November 2009 City had started the season well. They'd spent a fair bit of money in their first full summer with Sheikh Mansour's backing, and they had eyes on finishing in the top four. Manager Mark Hughes believed there had been a change in attitude in the squad from the year before. Yeah, you sense um, that there is a 
change in the mentality of the group. It had to change in fairness because um, last year we we went strong enough in that department. We've had a big turnaround in personnel. We've probably released or got people out on loan, something like 14, 15 players. So that changes the dynamic of the, the dressing room almost immediately. And uh, the key is to, to bring in players that have the right mentality and uh, and the right character. We feel we've done that. A bright start had seen City win five of their first six matches. In most Premier League seasons there at the beginning of the year, there are a few results that... Uh, don't get predicted. Obviously, I don't think many people would have predicted Burnley beating Manchester United the other night. I think um, this year, certainly, uh, there's there's more teams capable of taking points off the so-called Big Four, and um, we hope we're one of those teams with that capability. But City were finding they weren't one of those teams. In fact, they themselves were becoming easy to take points from. Seven draws in a row between the 5th of October and the 28th of November equaled a Premier League record. It started with two one-all draws, the first away at Aston Villa and the second away at Wigan. Premier League's always been difficult. It's, it's always a challenge. That's why there's such interest in it worldwide because on any given Saturday or whenever you're playing, there's the possibility that the top teams can be beaten by the bottom teams. That doesn't happen in any other league in, in world football, I would suggest. So uh, we play in the strongest league in world football, in my view, and on occasions there will be times where you're not able to overcome the test in front of you. Back-to-back draws weren't a disaster in City's hunt for fourth place, but then they threw away a two-goal lead at home to Fulham in a game that finished 2 all. Alarm bells started to ring after their next Premier League match, a nil-nil stalemate at Birmingham. They only escaped with a point from St Andrews thanks to a Shea-given penalty save too. Sides will always raise their games against uh, the top teams. We're certainly viewed as a top team and a challenge to teams below us and they want to beat us. And we've had to deal with that this year because we haven't really had that intensity from opposition teams that we face this year. I think obviously because of uh, the profile of the club now then, then we're viewed as certainly as a scalp and uh, that's something that we've had to deal with. But they weren't really dealing with it. Sure, they only lost one game in ten, but they had opened the door for Tottenham, Liverpool and Aston Villa, who were all competing with City for that coveted fourth Champions League spot. Yet another draw followed. Having come back from 2-0 down at home to Burnley, City were leading 3-2 with minutes to go until they switched off and it finished 3-all. We were disappointed with certainly our performance in that first half. Second half, I thought, we put in a huge effort to obviously get back in the game and then get our noses in front. And at that point, uh, I felt we were going to see the game out comfortably. But um, really, we haven't taken maximum points today because of our performance in the first half. So you, you can't give Premier League teams a two-goal head start. It's very difficult to get back. So, so credit to us that we were able to do that. But um, in the end... And we weren't able to see the game. After that match, it was five Premier League draws in a row. You saw the, our efforts today. I mean, it was uh, a huge effort by everybody, uh, but we made um, errors on the goals, and as a consequence, it was a little bit too much for us to, to actually see the game and win the three points. But um, in fairness, some of the player that we've we produced today has, has been as good as we've produced all season. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to to have a winning winning position um, secured right to the end. So uh, we have to work on that. Liverpool away was next for City, where it ended 2-all. A point there would normally be considered a good result, but not as a sixth draw in six. And number seven, which equaled the Premier League record, was only a week away. Jimmy Bullard's late penalty made sure Hull left Eastlands with a one-all draw. 
Speculation was growing about Mark Hughes's future. I'm not surprised by it. It's quite predictable. I've had that type of speculation in regard to my position here for, for quite some time, so it's not something I, I lose sleep over. It's obviously it's predictable when you have a run of results that uh, are obviously frustrating from our point of view. In that run, we haven't been beaten, but uh, we haven't had enough wins, and that's the frustration for everybody. Uh, winning is a habit, losing is a habit. At the moment, we've got the drawing habit. City's chief exec, Gary Cook, would later admit that it was after that result against Hull where the board considered a change. Hughes was sacked less than a month later with Cook speaking at the press conference when new boss Roberto Mancini was unveiled. The decision to seriously look at options managerially was taken just three weeks ago. This was following the whole City game. But I think it's important to know, and I'd like to stress, that Roberto was only offered the job after the Spurs game. We negotiated on Thursday, we finalised an agreement on Friday, and he was not in the stadium on Saturday, as was falsely reported. City missed out on the Champions League at the end of that season by four points. How different things could have been if they'd not had a record-breaking seven draws on the bounce that autumn ten years ago. Hi there, this is Joe Royal speaking. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast and carry on doing so. Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Tom Green, looking back at City's seven draws in a row in 2009, how how far City have come since. Uh, it's time to look ahead to uh, games against Newcastle and Burnley. These these weren't easy games last season, Richard. Well, they lost one of them. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, Newcastle last year was pretty woeful, and it was where we. I was going to say it's where we knew we'd lost the league then. Um, it felt like it at the Literally time. Literally didn't lose the league. <laughs> you know, I've forgotten. How, how did the other one go? The other Newcastle game. I've already forgotten. The year before. The, no, I mean like... The home the, game the last home year. Game, yeah. 2-1, Kyle Walker oh, yeah, uh, winning goal from yeah, yeah, that was a bit game. of a distance. Um, but yeah, the... God, the away game was dreadful. Uh, and it started so well with... I mean, was it was it 20-something seconds, that first goal? Yeah, first I, yeah it was really, I, really, I got really home really from easy. work a minute after eight and I'd already missed the first goal. You should, should get home sooner, shouldn't you? Um, I technically finished at eight that day, so right, I'd done very well. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, Burnley last year was... Uh, I mean, that entire game made me feel physically sick because it was so, so important and it was so... You still remember the distance? ...so difficult to watch. Uh, no, because 11 millimetres were Stones v Liverpool, so this... Was it I want to say 28... Millimeters. Yeah. I, I, I should have probably checked this I before we. I do remember being 100% sure it had crossed the line, though. I mean, I wasn't there. I was watching on TV, so I wasn't like I was trying to see it from behind the net at, at Burnley, which isn't an easy thing to do anyway. Um, but yeah, it was. Don't you love goal line technology? Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> goal line technology is the one that's yeah. perfect. VR um, no likes, and everyone loves goal line technology, the popular kid. 20, <laughs> 29.5 <laughs> millimeters. 29.5. That 0.5, all the difference. So, so I win. <laughs> I was closest. There we go. Uh, yeah, so you're right. They weren't They weren't great games. But um, both really important because I think Newcastle was a bit of a turning point because it couldn't it couldn't continue like that if we wanted to win the league. And it, it did Wasn't look like well. we're blowing Didn't it. Liverpool 
like drop points as well after that game. Yeah, yeah. was it the, the following like, night? And I remember say, thinking they would have definitely won the game if we'd won. Like mm. uh, they, I mean, not saying uh, it's kind of it kind of cancelled each other out, I guess, in the end. But they hundred percent slipped up because we did, which is kind of weird. And I guess we uh, that was the yeah that was the turning point. We would not have won that many games in a row without the game. Mm. What lessons do you learn from those two games, Stephen? Because oh. like the, the, we expect we don't go into this week thinking that City are going to breeze these two games, do we? Oh no, not no, of course not. We won't do. They're going to be they're very good. They're going to be horrible. I suspect. Um, I do think they will be okay against Newcastle. I got a feeling we will be, but it's it's just the uh, we will. I guess you just know what to expect with Newcastle. Like um, the we, the whole thing will be like you know if you score early, the job isn't done. You know that kind of the general stuff. But it's it's kind of true. Um, and I think thankfully, well I say thankfully, but we're in a situation where I don't think we will be complacent at the moment because we're not that good by our standards at the moment. Um, Newcastle look pretty dire as well, really. I mean, as well, I'm not dire, but you know, by relatively to their standards. And I know whatever. which squad I'd rather have. I'm yeah, not gonna lie. yeah. <laughs> Though, have, so having said that, they have got a pacey, unpredictable winger, which is probably the one thing we don't want to play against mm. at the moment. I mean, with that Saint Maxim kid or whatever he's called, um, he's going to be uh, fun to watch. Someone like Almir on score his first goal, and God knows how long. It just feels set up for that, doesn't it? But Burnley is. Um, Burnley, like it's gonna be exactly what it is, isn't it? It's just Burnley. It's, it's gonna be minging. It's gonna be horrible. <laughs> it's gonna be Brexit football, and it's gonna be fun. <laughs> well, I've got written in my notes here. Looking at City's recent displays, how do you feel about these two games? But in like on a flip side, Richard, how do you feel about any game at the moment? I don't go into games with the the confidence of the last two years, but that's natural because you know last year we only lost four games, which okay, they were all avoidable. Um, but it's a very small number of games in a 38-game season, and the season before that we only lost two. So you went to games, for the most part, feeling like they were pretty much in the bag um, because City were that good for the vast, vast majority of last season. But this year they're not showing that. The, lo- the thing with this year is they're losing games in different circumstances. So Norwich was um, being sort of hit on the break and... Um, we we didn't necessarily struggle for chances against Norwich, as I recall. Um, Liverpool, obviously anybody can lose at Liverpool, but actually we played okay. Lost at home to a Wolves team that hadn't won a game at the point that we played them. Obviously we know Wolves are a good team and that was a bit of a... Um, a bit of a misleading fact about them at the time. But still, you wouldn't have expected them to come to the Etihad and keep City goalless. Um... And like even the the drop points against Tottenham, City were fantastic in that game. It was overall one of the best performances of the Guardiola era. Yet they still gave away two soft goals and didn't take the chances. So there's there's reason looking over the season so far. There's reason to fear any game. Um, I fear might be too strong a word, but certainly there's no reason to go into any game thinking yeah. that it's that it's in the bag and that we just have to play our best because the reality is that at the moment our best still comes with some warning signs so uh no I'm, i don't think there is reason to be it's, there's certainly no reason to be complacent in any game what about the midfield Stephen? because we've we've talked about city having that to be honest there's good depth in the midfield but is there much difference in the midfield differences in terms of it, it's styles what 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 you get from the different players um the midfield's it's it's all right yeah it, it's not i think it's just a form thing really isn't it a lot of it like um Rodri uh, started the season really well. I think we all agree with that. He, I think he's, he's struggled a little bit since he's come back from injury, which is probably understandable. Like, you know, there's peaks and troughs for every new player, you know, and I think he's he, he's understandably going through that. 
but it's probably coincided with a time where his teammates can't drag him up to their level, which usually is what happens when you're in a Manchester City team. You have a bad game, it's fine because 10 other players are great, you know, and that's what usually happens. But I'm not worried about Rodri. Um, well, I think we all know Gundogan is the problem with Rodri is like, as well, he's like, he's, he's because I don't think he's that slow, but I don't think he's that fast either. And because he's learning the league, he's probably slow in thought. And, and he's like, so he appears slow but on the pitch. And then against a team like Burnley, maybe. Oh, you're probably could, fine that... there because they're not really. They're not really fast, are they? But is that not going to be problematic with, with the amount of pressure that they'll look to put City under? <sighs> Potentially, yeah. I mean, he's going to stand up to him physically, at very least, we know that. It's just more, I think the problem we've had this season is um, it's just a. Uh, I don't. It's weird because you think. It's not, I don't think it's a desire thing. I, I, like, I, I think the players are trying. And it's just like it seems slow. And I wonder. It's, it's one of those things where I think the team just aren't confident for whatever reason. I think maybe it's. Uh, I think there's about 10 billion variables that have led to this situation. I think as ever, it's usually it's never a case of one thing. It's just loads of things. Injuries, players leaving and, uh, you know, form. It, I feel like basically loads of players at the moment are nowhere near they need to be. And because of that, when you're not your best, you just look slower. And the team looks slower. And like confident players seem faster. I don't know why. Look at Bernardo. Bernardo looks <laughs> looked fast last season at times. Now he looks kind of half paced, you know, for whatever reason. And I think when you look at the midfield at the moment, it does seem quite... One dimension. You've got De Bruyne who even looks a little bit slower. You know, like he, De Bruyne looks like he's, he's usually when players aren't confident as well for whatever reason, they kind of spam what they're good at. Like, um, they tend to just try and repeat actions that usually makes them that good. That they know works. Yeah. And look at De Bruyne. He's very much a guy doing an impression of Kevin De Bruyne at the moment. Like, um, he's constantly trying to cross the ball constantly when usually he's a little bit more intelligent than that. But at the moment, that's all he seems to do. I don't think that's a lack of, uh, I, I think that's, if anything, that's, um, that's desire, trying to make himself feel better, but I think he's not playing that well for whatever reason. And then I think Bernardo is falling into a similar category, and then Sterling seems to be running down some blind alleys. And Gundogan is just Gundogan. He's good at number six, but he's not that good at number eight. Like he's still better than most teams number eights, but you know he's not the level you'd expect him to be. David Silva, once again, he's he's getting a bit older. So like it, it could be that we've just got um, too many players out of form. We've got the injury injury here and there. Maybe it's. I don't know how much I don't want to put too much pressure on Phil Foden because I don't. Want, he's not going to change the world. We know he, he's only a young lad, but he probably would be he nice. Could have to some have, impact from time to time, though. Well, it would be nice to have just a, a change of scenery, I guess. You know, and like sometimes that can even even if he just sends a message to the players. If Phil Foden starts at the weekend, it does say to Gundogan. Not that the players need to kick up the arse, but it's nice to have a reminder that they aren't untouchable. You yeah. know, like and I don't think they think they are. But if all of a sudden David Silva's on the bench. Though weirdly, I don't think he needs that. Also, like Gundogan's on the bench and Phil Foden's in the team, and they're thinking, well, you know, uh, okay, well, I'm not starting next week, definitely, you know, and that little kind of of uh, impetus it give Phil Foden, he could do something, he could kind of uh, knock over some dominoes, and the players all start to kind of feed off his energy or something like that. I just would like to see a little bit of variety because it does feel a bit predictable, and it does feel a little bit one pace, and it does feel like too many people are looking for looking around at each other to try and come up with something and. It's weird because, yeah, I don't think it's lack of effort. I just think, for whatever reason, the players have fallen out of form and the midfield looks a bit slow. And it does look like, like as Richard said earlier, like in a bit of creativity. And it seems a bit one paced. And um, maybe because it is a bit one paced at the moment, you know, we've got a slower holding midfielder uh, learning the game. We've got a year older David Silver. We've got Kevin De Bruyne, who's not quite fully, I don't know, he's not quite right. And then we've got Bernardo, who's not quite right. He sometimes plays there as well. So it all adds to this kind of slightly confusing melting pot of the kind of meh basically (laughs) 
before we get your predictions for the charity bet, I just want you to have a listen to this. This is uh, Pep Guardiola speaking before the Chelsea game um, about the idea of putting a winning run together like last season to to get back into this title race. If you ask me this question after Newcastle last season when we lost 1-0 and asked me, are we going to win 14 games to win the Champions? I would say no. I would say, first, I don't know. I know to, to be until the end, we have to make an incredible run of games. If don't, no chance we know it. But I think it will be a big mistake if we think about we have to review the schedule this game, another one, another one, another one. It's better to stop. I would like to say, you, yeah, we're going to win 20 games in a row. We're going to win the Premier League again. So I cannot assure you. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That doesn't sound like a man who is particularly confident that his squad can put a running win together. He knows, doesn't he? It's, it's a realistic approach, isn't it? There's um, there's no point laying down expectations and publicly talking up chances that are actually pretty remote. You know, it's, it's one thing saying, I believe in my team and trust them, and it's another saying... Well, yeah, I think we can put, we can pull back a nine point lead, or um, I think we can put together similar winning runs to what we've done in the past because it's a completely different situation now. Um, so, how do you so, feel about the title race? race? I think Liverpool will win the league. I've thought that since September. I think they the points that they are amassing at the moment uh, it, it's absolutely phenomenal. They and I think I said this last time I was on. It is to their credit and not a. It's hard to say this as a City fan at the moment without sounding bitter, but I genuinely don't mean it to. They are getting the rub of the green that you get when things are going your yeah, way. With you it. bitter soul. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, to a large degree, is you do create your own luck. Now, you know, when you think of last-minute winners, that's because they keep going. If you're not pushing teams, then they've built up that... We should know we did it as well, didn't exactly. we? Sterling Ex- exactly. Exactly. You build up that aura where teams... Yeah, but Sterling's last-minute goals were good, not goalkeepers <laughs> fumbling it in. But teams start to feel that they that they can't let the foot off the gas for a second. It becomes, I, I guess, a, um, a heightened pressure on them. And so forget any of what's wrong with City. If a team is going to win all bar one of its games over this longer period, then anybody would be behind them. And yeah, I, if they win it, they win it. Like we've, we've won two in a row under, in phenomenal circumstances. It then becomes, you start to look to next season and the challenge is right. How do we bounce back against that now like they have done against us? I've made my peace with this season being a transition season. Yeah. You defeatists. I, I don't want it to I, be... Like, I, I, I think we... I've got a feeling... I've, my instinct of this season is that we'll do something we've not done before, but underwhelming other areas that we normally stroll in. Champions I've got a feeling League. we'll probably go further with Champions League than we have. It doesn't make any sense, given everything, but I feel like it's just that kind of season, and I hope I'm right, because I'll be finding this clip and putting it online. Fingers, <laughs> like, fingers crossed. I've just got a feeling, we'll, yeah, we'll do something like that while just third or something like that in the league, maybe. You know, something like that. No, we'll probably be second, but it will be underwhelming. And in, a, in a word... I just third and the Champions League final 100% oh, well, well, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not guaranteeing a win I'm just guaranteeing that they'll oh. get there no no I mean getting there is. I don't care about getting there unless we win it okay fair so, like, I mean, I think, but then if we got there are you saying as if we lose it <laughs> no I'm saying that's it all I will guarantee is that City are in so the Champions League final. In the final oh yeah I'll take that I probably no at this, <laughs> I don't know actually, that's such a hard question that's the whole what I would take though is third and United relegated boom well, I'd, say, I, I'd, I'd take City fourth bottom and United relegated no, so. I, I think I made a piece of a transition season because I think there's too many things going on and I think 
Uh, I think Vincent Company we are missing him more than we realise. I think we're missing Fabian Delph more than we realise. There's people around the dressing room that are just leaders and that are popular. Then you take out Leroy Sane, then you take out Laporte. Then you, you know, it's just there's just so many big, big kind of players that are just in terms really? of mentality and they're just not there. And I think we've got young players coming in that are to learn it. And we've got older players getting older. I just think this season's a transition season. Thirty seconds ago, you have to believe in we could win the Champions we're League. Win it. Now, <laughs> now I don't believe we could even get out of the group. We've already got out. Of- <laughs> we're United are going to get relegated. Right. Well, we're currently on £430 for the charity bet this season, raising money for the Christie, which is a cancer hospital in South Manchester. William Hill is giving each of the panel a £10 correct score single, and we've two matches to look ahead to this week. So first up is Newcastle. Uh, Stephen, what have you got? Uh, I'll go 3-1. Three, we can see, don't we? 3-1 to City is 9-1. to one, uh, £90, Richard? Um, I am going to share Stephen's confidence of an attacking relative masterclass but uh, I'm also backing us at the back despite everything we've said on this show so I'm going for a 3-0 win 3-0 is 11-2 to two, so £55 if you're right I've gone 2-1 uh, mix of, mixture of the two so 17-2 to two if I'm right so uh, 85 quid. and uh, Burnley Richard what are you having? Tight I think it will be awful um, but I'm going a 2-1 City win uh, is 8-1 to one and £80 uh, Stephen? Uh, same but just take a goal off so 1-0 <laughs> 1-0 City is 13-2, to two, so £65 if you're right. I'm really worried about Turf Moor, uh, yeah. so I've gone for a one all draw, uh, which is 10-1 to one and £100. You've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change, and for more on responsible gambling, head over to begambleaware.org. Uh, now then, all this season, we've been looking back on the campaigns from the last decade and how we discuss them here on the Blue Moon podcast. On today's show, Rob Wilson takes us back to the 2012-13 season where Roberto Mancini's City were looking to build on their first Premier League title. After winning their first Premier League title, Manchester City's next big task was to defend their crown. But where previous transfer windows had seen City add quality to their squad, the summer of 2012 proved to be a tricky one. City were forced to wait until the last two weeks of the window to make six signings, with four of them only completed on deadline day. Jack Rodwell and Javi Garcia arrived to add depth to the midfield. Scott Sinclair was to provide a different option from the wings, while Maicon and Matija Nastasic completed City's defensive options, along with goalkeeper Richard Wright. A troubled summer would be a sign of things to come for the defending champions. The season began with another chance to win the Community Shield, this time against FA Cup winners Chelsea. City ran out 3-2 winners, as they would a week later against newly promoted Southampton, with Samir Nasri scoring crucial goals in both games. On the podcast, City's 3-5-2 formation caught the eye of David Mooney. I'm a big fan of, of three at the back and wing-backs, and if that's the system that Roberto Mancini's going to play, I think it can work really well. I, I just think it offers that cover. The fact that you can then have the fluid front line that we had last season on top of that, I just think it can offer so much more defensively without compromising the attack. After a disappointing start to life in the Champions League the previous year, City fans were delighted to find themselves leading 2-1 against Real Madrid with just five minutes of normal time left. City wouldn't hold on though, as Madrid snatched a 3-2 victory. It was a shock turnaround that City never recovered from as they finished bottom of a tough group. The podcast David Mooney saw the Madrid result as a sign of problems to come. A lot of fans said they were proud of that performance, I wasn't. I wasn't proud. I'm not proud of, of throwing no. away a, a 2-1 lead with a couple of minutes to go. I understand kind of where they're coming from, saying, well, we played very well at, at, at Real Madrid, but we're not Little City anymore. In the league, however, things were much better. An unbeaten start to the campaign saw the Blues fighting for the title with Manchester United again, and a crunch tie in December saw the two meet at the Etihad. 
United raced into a 2-0 lead, but goals from Yaya Toure and Pablo Zabaleta drew the game level. With momentum going City's way in the last 10 minutes, it seemed as though they would snatch the three points. But Robin Van Persie had other ideas. Van Persie took a deflection. Oh, he's done it! It's Van Persie! It's City 2, United 3! That win sent United six points clear in December, and as the season went on, it proved to be a lead too large for the Blues to catch. The gap would eventually widen to 11 points, and United would claim their 20th league title. But not before City registered a blow to their neighbours by winning their second consecutive Old Trafford derby. James Milner scored the first, before a brilliant solo effort from Sergio Aguero secured a narrow 2-1 win for the Blues. Sam Roscoe was frustrated that such an enjoyable win would have little bearing on the title race. We're a, a team full of quality players who have, who have played at the top levels of football throughout the world and, and it's hard just to, to pin it on that with their experience and stuff and saying it's all down to pressure but you look at the performances in the season and when the pressure's been on and the real crunch games that we've needed to win and, and then now when you know it's pretty much over you could, you could argue for the for the pressure reason, I suppose. But much like the campaign in 2010-2011, a tough time in the title race was eased by a confident run in the FA Cup. Comfortable home wins over Watford, Barnsley and Leeds, as well as a tight win away to Stoke, set up another Wembley semi-final. Their opponents were Chelsea, from whom City had taken four points in the league without conceding a goal. And their good form in the fixture continued. We're with the header! Goals from Sami Nasri and Sergio Aguero sent City to a 2-1 win and put them into their second FA Cup final in three years, with relegation-threatened Wigan standing in their way. After failing to defend the Premier League title, and after failing to make it into the knockout stages of the Champions League for the second season running, questions were raised over whether Roberto Mancini would be able to continue his work with City. Winning the FA Cup would arguably answer some of those questions, but on the morning of the final the mood was not one of excitement, Media rumours linked City with Malaga manager Manuel Pellegrini, and the game itself was marred by division in the City crowd. Were the rumours true? Was the club right to be replacing Mancini? Who had leaked the rumours, and to what end? Nobody knew. During the game, those questions only continued as Wigan took advantage of an abject City performance to pull off a monumental shock. The Latics won 1-0 and were crowned champions, while City fans trudged away from the stadium in driving rain. Paul Atherton questioned the players' desire on the day. The scary thing is that everyone's saying that you know the manager should have been getting the players up for it. I mean, it's a cup final. If you can't get yourself up for a cup final, everyone wants the FA Cup winners' medal around the neck, don't they? And I mean, if you can't get yourself up for that game, something seriously wrong with you. The morning after, Roberto Mancini was sacked, confirming the rumours from before the final. A relationship which had seemed so perfect just a year before had quickly turned sour with relationships in the dressing room allegedly strained and affecting performances on the pitch. David Mooney found it hard to see how Mancini could have continued at the club under such intense speculation. This season hasn't been great, but on the whole, you know, his management of City's been been fine in that regard. I think though, when you when you look back at the, the number of stories that have been coming out about his relationship with players, his relationship with staff and other members that you know that work at City. You've got to say, well, if, you've, if he's got that many enemies inside the club, it can't be healthy. After making such wonderful progress between 2009 and 2012, and after Mancini had delivered on his promise to turn City into winners again, May 2013 was a tough month to endure. But the fact that City fans were disappointed with being runners-up was a sign of the changing mentality. Expectations were different now, 
and looking ahead to the following season, City were eager to avoid making the same mistakes. Hi, my name is Karen Bardsley. I'm a goalkeeper for Manchester Women's Football Club, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Rob Wilson looking back at 2012-13 there. Now it's time for Ask the Panel. Get your questions in for next time at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter. Uh, send us an email through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Search for us on Instagram as well. Search uh, Blue Moon Podcast over there. Uh, first up is Ian Griffiths on Instagram who asks, what did you make of Pep Guardiola's comments that he'd be happy to stay at City longer as long as the club wants him to? Uh, before we get on to that, um, I've actually got the comments here, so let's have a listen to them. I don't have any reasons to move from here. I'm incredibly satisfied to work with this club, with this place, and I want to help. If the people believe I'm going to resign or I'm going to be sad for these results, the name puts behind, the people doesn't know me, don't know me. So I like this challenge. I love to be in that position. And I want to, if the club wants, next season I want to be here, 100%. I want to live in this city because I, I know lovely people here and I want to work and live with them, and I want to be here. So if they decide, because the results are now getting worse and worse and worse, they are going to take a decision, that's normal. It's not because I am friend from Chiki, I'm going to stay all the rest of my life. I'm here sitting because I win. If I don't win, I am in trouble. I know that. But uh, I'm incredibly satisfied to work in this city and this club, and I want to help this club to to get better, to to I I enjoy, still enjoy and work with these players a lot, and I I would like to stay longer. I would like to stay longer if the club wants. I will stay. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. But don't worry, it'll be over soon. Rather encouraging comments, Richard. Yeah, um, I'm going to take the opportunity to shamelessly um, <laughs> on the podcast behalf plug a blog that I've written about this that um, will be online soon. Soon, when I get my arse in gear, yeah. <laughs> um, so, of course, the first reaction, um, and spoiler alert, my conclusion, is that City should be jumping at the opportunity to extend Guardiola's contract if that's what he wants. We know that he is one of, if not the best coach in the world. He's one of the greatest coaches of all time. Um, and I think you can make an argument that he is the greatest coach of all time. I strongly believe that you can make that argument. Um, he wins. He is a revolutionary manager. We have at City a manager who has defined this era of football. Think back, you had the Johan Cruyff era, you have the Arrigo Sacchi era, and at the moment we've got the Pep Guardiola era. It's all over football. Influences sort of every part of it. And so, of course, the first reaction is to think you have to hang on to him. Where I would urge a note of caution is in in the understanding, I guess, that modern football is cyclical. The way that managers work, um, the way modern footballers seem to work, and you know, more than one manager is on record as saying this, things can only sort of last a certain amount of time before they start to fade. And that isn't really a reflection on the before, manager. Is that before players stop responding yeah, to I th- I think, just get new players? I think... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but because, you know, we've seen it at Tottenham. Um, granted, not to the level of success City have had, but Pochettino took a massively underwhelming team, developed them to the point that they had two reasonable title tilts, and they were great to watch. They got to a Champions League final, 
and it's faded very quickly. Of course, it's background reasons. It's never just one singular reason. We saw it with Klopp at Dortmund, but he hasn't diminished as a coach. If anything, he's improved. Look at his Liverpool team. They are phenomenal. Um, and then you look at, and I'm sorry to sort of bring this to a City podcast, but one of the things that kept Manchester United fresh when they were dominating football for as long as they did was Fergie kept changing the coach that the players were most in touch with. So he had the sort of overall approach, but would change his number two. So the players were getting new ideas and he'd bring in top-level coaches. You would think Pep's not really going to do that. I was going to say, it's not good news for Arteta, is it? Well, no, but, but well, Pep obviously... Torrent's pe- gone, you know, like a... Yeah. yeah and but, Arteta probably will go, so probably someone else might come in. You never Pep, know. Pep, Pep will retain that overall head coach role. And so... Where I think the important thing is is to recognise what the challenge becomes for Guardiola. Because the challenge is always going to be to win, but he's already done that better than anybody's ever done it before. So redoing that, I mean, it's Guardiola. He's a football nerd. He's always going to be obsessed with winning and doing it right. But you've got to start to look at City's evolution. Teams are always evolving, but City are coming up to, I think, a pretty big period of transition. They're going to lose David Silva. They're going to lose Aguero within two seasons. And they're going to have to... to Fernandinho as well. Yeah, lose Fernandinho. The, the defence is going to need a huge overhaul because Otamendi's going to go. Kyle Walker has said it before. He's not... But he's, <laughs> at the moment, he's a key... At the moment, he's one of our key available players. For listeners at home, I was pulling faces at Richard then but when he, he said Otamendi. But I'll he take, is, I'll take he's, your point. he's an yeah. older senior member yeah. of the team. Yeah, he's, he's not right. the, yeah. yeah. I agree. So... When he's, he's he goes, to replace Brett Elway. Yeah, when he goes, somebody has to come in. We can't just lose him. I mean, you know, based God on form, you could argue that. <laughs> yeah. So there's a big overhaul coming, and actually, we're at a point now where there are young players that are looking ready to make that step up. Foden is ready to step into Silver's shoes. Um, he's not going to be as good as him straight away, but he's ready to make that step up. Eric Garcia looks good enough to play Premier League football in defence, and so there's a big judgment call for Pep to start to make on: Does he want the club to pursue? big money signings does he want the challenge of bringing in the youth and continuing to evolve this style of football and if he does and that challenge motivates him then of course you give him whatever terms he wants because a motivated Pep Guardiola is something that you want around my fear and it's the risk worth taking I 100% believe it's the risk worth taking but it's not something to be done thinking this guarantees future success because it doesn't you need to find what keeps motivating people and that's that's the challenge for the club and Pep to work on together yeah, I agree if you, with that if you want those thoughts in written form then they'll be on patreon.com forward slash blooming podcast very soon I, I I mean going back to the actual quote um, in general I don't think he's actually talking about past his contract there anyway I think he's just saying you know, to the end of his contract I think he's talking about his, to, his, to the end of his contract really like I'll be here I think he's on about yeah, I'll stay here and I think he means next season I think he means that personally I might be wrong there but I didn't hear that as give me a new contract I heard it as no I'm going to be around here for a while which is still a while a year and a half you know I think he meant I'm not going anywhere which means I'm not going anywhere until my contract expires I might be wrong and I hope I am wrong but I do wonder if if they want him to stay what the way they could sell this to Guardiola is like look you know, football cyclical, uh, cyclical, uh, and you're the kind of manager. Well, the wasp maybe jump then. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a wasp in the studio yeah, all, he's, all he's evening. Just not yeah. agree with my point right now. Uh, he's the kind of like I think he's the kind of person where they can turn around and say to him, "But what could motivate you? Why don't you change the perception of how long a manager can be around and stuff? And why don't you prove some of these doubts on that you can't do it with you players? And why don't you prove that you can create a new team? You know? And I wonder if they could sell it to him that way and appeal to his ego 
Um, it of, certainly, I mean, yeah. it certainly bothers him because yes. because but he, he, every now and though. then he lets it slip in the press conferences where he where he, he continually makes the joke of oh well you know it's because I'm not good enough or it's because I you know I've not won the Champions League that sort of thing Look, money, and you but... can see it like like that's eating away at him a little bit mm. yeah I reckon if you got the chance to say well, okay you inherited uh, you know. Uh, De Bruyne, uh, Aguero, Fernandinho, Silva, your company, you know, all these great players. Now you've got to go make the next ones of them and mm. set us up. Can you do that? And I think you go, yeah, of course can do it. And if you said that, if you put that question in his head, I reckon he could eat away at him to the point where he wants to prove everything wrong. And I think that's the best way to get to Guardiola is do the whole, you know, like, ooh, kind of like, <laughs> like, what's he doing with a kid? You're like, oh, but no one can do that, can they? And he's like, well, I can, I'm Guardiola. <laughs> now, like, you just do the whole reverse psychology thing. And I wonder if that's a good way to get him to stay because he is happy here by all accounts, apparently. Mm. And like, apparently he does like it here because it's the club built for him, literally. Like, they, yeah. I know. Um, if there's a, I was going to say, if, if it's about he leaves when he wants to leave, then you just make sure that he wants to stay here for as long and, as Possibly, yeah, I know yeah. a lot of people close to the club, and I'm not really naming names, but like, I know, like in general, like um, Joe when he was going, he was coming out with the stuff with the, with, with the Bernardo quotes stuff, like and I was like, why are you just shutting up? You know, why is no one telling him? It's because in general that he is the, the he's the boss. Like I managed to see everyone is almost like scared of upsetting the boss. You know, he like everyone. You know, like if it was any other manager, you'd probably have the press person in the air saying this, but. Guardiola, like no one wants to upset him. Like, they don't want to upset him because they want him to stay for ages. Mm. So like they're not going to basically, and it, like he, he probably won't get a more perfect situation again. You know, like a scenario for him. So I think that's the way to get to him. And I would love to see him try it because it would actually be fascinating to see him integrate Garcia, Foden, Howard, Bellis, Doyle, that lot. I mean, one or two will drop by the wayside, but bringing the next like lot and getting Cancelo and Rodri up to scratch and Gabriel Jesus, and it'd be great. Well, uh, Catherine Goodall on the emails takes us back to uh, a previous manager. It was Roberto Mancini's birthday on Wednesday. So uh, what was your favourite Mancini moments at City? Um, the shut-in Fergie Yeah, up, that was mine um, as well, yeah. yeah. And the screaming F-U, F-U, F-U at his players just before they scored the winner against QPR. Oh, no, it was just after QPR had gone in front. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, was he not screaming it towards the end at them? No, it was... It was oh, QPR, yeah, okay. Yeah. That's QPR had just scored the second. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it does. Um, his Balotelli fight was failing. good. His Balotelli yes. fight And he, just his little blue scarf. I like and that. You know, that was good fun. What, I, love, I want to throw in uh, when he turned up at a press conference wearing a David Platt mask because yeah. he'd sent David Platt to the last three or four of them. I was chatting to uh, uh, the journalist, Danny, Daniel Taylor, and he was saying that when uh, Mancini was there, they loved him, by the way, because he'd, he'd take all the press back out to San Carlo Chichetta, you know the oh, one wow. next to the house of phrase, a little small one, and he'd put his bank card behind the till, and he'd be like, <laughs> uh, like he'd be like, he basically, he he would sit there with all the journos, and he'd talk about his favorite wines, and he'd say, oh, you have to get this on the menu and all that kind of stuff, and he'd really I am like so annoyed that I only did about three or four Mancini press conferences now. Oh, yeah, because because he basically yeah he took everyone out, so wow. unfortunately. Thought you missed out, David. Should have gone some more. Uh, and finally, Jonathan Baines on the emails asks, uh, what do you think of the pub inside the Etihad? Oh, what? No. It's not a pub, is it? Exactly. It's it not isn't. a it's public a, house. <laughs> it's, as, it's, it's as convincing as a Harry Potter set, you know, let's be honest. Like, it's not, it's not, it's, a, it's, it's another tourist attraction. Like, it's not a real thing. How this about another Richard? way to take people's money? Yeah. How about when I say it holds around 80 fans, season tickets in there are around about £2,000, <laughs> and it's £126 for a Category C game. Do you know, um, I, I'm going to be... Um, drinks not included. That's at the, nonsense. At the risk of being extremely rude on your podcast, um, and I don't mean this at the question, nor at you for that information, I, I don't care. 
it has no impact on my life. Yeah, that's what I, I feel. I do not. If people want to pay it. Have you ever sat in Tunnel Club? No. Someone gave me a free ticket once, and um, I thought, oh, it's Tunnel Club, I'm going to go for it. Yeah, yeah. Like if someone just gave me, I don't know why they did, what, what an idiot, but they gave me a free ticket. Thank you for that person. I love you. <laughs> um, and basically, that is such a surreal experience. I didn't feel like I was at the Etihad. I felt like I was watching the theatre. I was only yeah. sat behind the bench. And to be honest, if you're rich and you have no interest in football, football I can imagine, I went to see, I went to New York recently, I went to see the uh, New York Rangers, and it felt so much more close to that in terms of like everyone's just sat around, everyone's just chatting, and everyone's obviously like a neutral fan. You did not feel like you're at a football stadium, even though my regular seat, I normally sit around like one, I kind of, between 110 and 115, was only 70 meters that way, wherever it was. I felt like I was nowhere near where you Completely sat. different and place. And it was, I felt like I was there just watching because the where the company was sat as close to uh, me as you are now. So they were just opposite me, and it's such a surreal experience. And I couldn't watch football that every day though, because even though it was mm. good fun and a novelty value, of course it is. I sat behind the bench. I was like, oh wow. Yeah. I realised I've not I've not paid one attention to the game at all. I've been watching the players in front of me, you know, on and the if bench. You, and if you want to watch City in the pub, then just go exactly. to the pub. To the pub. <laughs> if, yeah. if there's one area where I do care about this, being the altruistic um, sort of people person that I that I clearly am, less of that here. Um, <laughs> then. I would say that I don't like people being exploited. And so my one word of caution to people who buy the rhetoric about this Ardwick pub or whatever it's called, or the 9320 bar or Joe's bar, when the club tell you that you are buying, because they do market is this, when the club tell you that you are getting a piece of a traditional match day experience, you are not. If you buy it willingly, knowing that, fine. But if you buy it, in some way thinking that you're buying a traditional match-going yeah. experience, you have been sold a lie. The Ivory 20 thing is naff. Yeah. It's but... absolutely naff. It's like, it's just big, it's just a, a slightly cleaner place to buy drinks. And yeah. It's just pointless. But other than that, it's no effect on me. People, if you want to pay two grand to sit in a fake pub, crack on. Well, uh, <laughs> on that cheery note, uh, that's it for this week's podcast. A special thanks to my two guests, Richard Burns. Pleasure, David. Thank and you. And Stephen McInerney. Thank you. Where you on YouTube. Tell us where yeah, you are. Yeah, just the channel uh, Steam Company. So can shout about Manchester City. Excellent. <laughs> uh, join the club. Um, <laughs> on next week's show, we'll be looking back over the matches with Newcastle and Burnley and previewing the Manchester Derby, so you don't want to miss that one. If you can't wait until then, then you can always sign up to our Patreon page for just $2 a month, and you'll get a bonus mini-show each week. For this week's, the three of us have been picking our teams of the decade, but by only taking one player from each of the last 11 seasons dating back to 2009-10 check that out at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and if you do sign up you'll be helping us make shows like this one as well if you've enjoyed this week's show then please head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button and give us a rating and a review so other City fans can find us if you've not enjoyed it then don't do any of that please uh, I'll be back on next week's show uh, so see you then Is the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.